Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Thinking Else Out podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me is an out of breath, sweaty Ben Olson. You're at home, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for you... the introduction. Yeah, well... <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners what you just told me about what you did right before the podcast? Yeah, so I, I run um, most days of the week. And today I ran to the park as usual. And at the park, I'll do like pull-ups and stuff like that. And for some reason, I had it in my head today that like life is short. I was like, life is short. So when I was doing the pull-ups and the push-ups, I did a couple extra because I was like, I'm never going to be here again. I'm never going to be here doing these pull-ups in this moment again. So I might as well do more. And of course, you always have more juice in you than you feel like, you know. So I was able to do them. But then on the flip side of that, when I was done, I was like, oh, man, like even just a couple more than like my normal set, which is, which is pushing it a little bit. Um, at least I thought it was. And, uh, yeah. So then when I was running home, which is a little bit uphill, I was like, Oh dang, I'm not going to make it back in time for the podcast. And so I kind of, I kind of gave in, but then I started thinking like, Oh, life is short again. So I like ran up, the last little bit and that's when i started talking to you and that's why i was like hello Nathan," <laughs> <laughs> and, and a little bit dead i'm, I'm almost recovered though so thanks. i wish i would have made you do the introduction just right off right off the bat yeah. <laughs> anyway it's going to be our most uh, inspiring version i guess of the thinking else podcast <laughs> with the inspirational very inspired ben olson how'd you get so inspired this morning ben with your life is short Oh, well, I was, uh, I re-listened to the book, um, by Ashley Vance about Elon Musk. And one of his things is that he says it every now and then, but he's like, life is short. And he get, he says this, uh, at various times when he's like making decisions. But the other thing is that, uh, <laughs> he wrote this email to, I think his entire SpaceX company or maybe even both SpaceX and Tesla. No, I think it was just a SpaceX, but. In that email, he was giving them uh, investing advice and just actually uh, schooling them and saying, look, you don't know what you're doing, so just um, keep your money in SpaceX or whatever, or do whatever you want to do, but don't try to outsmart the, the stock market. And then he said, I think that if you think that the SpaceX stock is going to go up, you should keep some. But I also think that you should sell some now. Don't keep it um, forever, even if you think it's going to be a very successful stock, because you should spend some of that now. Life is short. Like holding it all for the end is kind of, you know, just as foolish as spending it all now. So um, it just like hit me again. I'm like, yeah, like life is really short and I might as well work hard if I'm going to work out at all. That was my thought. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Don't worry, that's... it will go away quickly, and I'll be back to my normal self soon. So. Especially when you're sore tomorrow from today's workout, <laughs> then you'll be <laughs> then you'll be completely demotivated. No, that's right. um, that is interesting, though. Yeah, spend some of your money. Like, why why be a billionaire when you're 90 and have not like lived during your life? Yeah. yeah. Um. On today's show, boy, we have all kinds of exciting stuff to talk about. The other thing you were you were just going to put, you're going to add to the show agenda. Yeah. Is that what so you were going to do? What is I it? was. Yeah. So um, it looks like Aaliyah donated $10 and then uh, <laughs> Lauren 
donated $60 and Jacob donated $100. So this was the week of donations. Um, thank you, all three of you. It's just uh, it's an honor to get your money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that sounded wrong. But, like, I mean, it's. Re- I was actually thinking about it on the way here when I was running up that hill. I was like, it's, it's very nice of these people to send us this money. Like, they totally didn't have to. They could have just continued on with their lives and whatever, but they took the time even to, like, find the donation button, which I'm sure is, like, a hassle and uh, send us the money. So thanks. Yeah, it means a lot to us. Um, as we discussed last show, I promise that I will spend mine frivolously and hopefully dangerously. Uh, ben is not going to spend his dangerously, I'm sure, but he. But I bet you would spend it frivolously, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I don't, I mean, honestly, I'd probably just get more books. I burn through books so fast that I'm, I keep buying Audible credits. I know that's boring. But no, it's, it's but so that's living. That's what you want to do. That's how you want to spend your time, right? I mean, that's what you're yeah. doing. You're excited about books, so yeah. you're doing that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, I uh, I will do the same with my share of it. I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do with it, but uh, I'll do something fun and I'll talk about it on the show. Cool. Uh, and we also do have a lot of show expenses that we <laughs> defray, but let's keep those separate. I think the donations are fun. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about this at the top of the show. Please stop sending the wall of text emails to help at thinkinglsat.com. I mean, keep sending us emails. And if there's a reason for the wall of text, then you can send a wall of text. But uh, a little editing and a little toning it down on the just ramblings would be appreciated during this busy time of year. <laughs> yeah, no, we really appreciate the emails, but um, it helps you and us if you can write them and then stop read them again and realize what actually is important and cut out everything else. That's just like the process of writing. Um, it takes, it takes time. Yeah. And, and don't get us wrong. We understand it also took you time to craft that giant wall of text in the first place. But, um, yeah, we would appreciate it if you would take a little bit more time and boil it down to what's really essential in it, in the email. Uh, we, we appreciate good writing. We appreciate jokes. We appreciate anecdotes, you know, don't take out the, uh, the, the meat of it, the good stuff. But, um, there are times where (laughs) I don't know about you, Ben, are you like just totally flat out busy right now? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. This, it it is a very busy uh, season. All of a sudden it, for me, it got like really hugely busy. So, um, I'm getting inundated. I mean, not inundated. I keep up with it. I still got my inbox zero going, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, we've got a, we've got 20 pages worth of stuff here on the show agenda, which is awesome. Um, but if it were the same content and only eight pages, uh, we would get through it more efficiently and that would be good for everybody. I got the same thing with incoming emails, questions from students, uh, you know, send me good questions by all means. Um, but uh, yeah, just understand that right now is our, our busiest time of year and we're doing our, our best to get back to everybody as quick as we can. Um, what else do we need to talk about? We got a ton of listener mail. We could just dive right into that probably. Yeah, so really uh, two quick updates. One is that uh, <clears throat> I've looked into, or I should say Matt, who works for me and who is awesome, has started looking into the process for getting a school accredited. And it looks like all we have to do is get provisional uh, approval and then that lasts for like three years but once you get provisional approval you're as good as uh, any other law school in terms of what you can do and 
your interaction with the whole like law school ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. So what's the process to get provisional approval? Well, uh, you do have to get a school up and running and then they send out representatives and uh, you explain what you're doing to meet their various requirements. And the requirements are, uh, there certainly are many, but there are not as many as I originally thought. So I'm a little um, optimistic about that. The other thing is I am hoping to rename the school (laughs) uh, to the John Roberts School of Law because he is the best writer in our uh, time, I think. And this school, the goal will be to put out lawyers who are top-notch writers. And I think that's going to be its biggest challenge, right? Most people are going to look at this and say, hey, it's a complete joke, which it is right now. But um, to make it legit, it's got to wow people. And I think the way to do that is to make the class really small, to lower the price at the beginning so we can choose very uh, top-notch candidates. We only need a few. And then that first year, focus solely on legal writing and use that to teach everything else, but make that the mainstay of uh, what everything that we do so that when people leave, they can actually go to law firms and be very useful from day one. And not only useful, but impressive, you know, like, oh, wow, that's a really good piece of writing. This is useful. This is something I want to continue seeing from our first year associates. So that's the plan. We'll see what happens. I believe you. Episode 101, I thought it was completely a joke. And now I think it's completely not a joke at all. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So we're going to keep looking into it and see what can happen. And I think if we start small, it's totally doable. Can it still be called FU though? (laughs) To anyone who knows the true history of the school, yes. But uh, as a recent LSAT question pointed out, um, if you're trying to make something uh, have a positive association with it, you have to associate it with things that already have a positive association. So I think renaming it the John Roberts School of Law, assuming that's like even possible, would bring reputation to the school that may be undeserved, but eventually earned, you know, that's the goal. So you got to move away from the, uh, the FU title, except for only our loyal podcast listeners. (laughs) Awesome, dude. I am honored to, uh, to be around at the beginning of it. I really believe you. I, it sounds, it sounds amazing. I think legal education needs a huge shakeup you're saying a lot of things that make a ton of sense to me. I love making it small. I love making it uh, exclusive. I love making it cheap in the beginning so that you can pick the very best candidates. Um, I hope you fail people out if, if necessary. Yeah. So that they don't leave and uh, tarnish the name of the school, I guess. You're not going to just, it's not a money grab. You're not going to let people skate through it, right? It's going to be, you're going to take it seriously and these people are going to come out some of the most kick-ass legal writers around, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I believe you. Let me know if uh, I can help, if you need brainstorming help or whatever. I mean, we can obviously talk about it when we talk on the show, but um, yeah, sure. if there's anything I can no. do, let me know. For sure, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, should we dive into these emails? or did, Wait, you said a couple announcements. Is there another announcement? Oh, yeah, so um, the other thing is uh, working on a digital uh, LSAT-looking online tool so there's not a lot to report yet because i don't have a link but that's sort of 
in the works and uh, excited to help people see that. And hopefully <laughs> the bees over at LSAC don't get mad at me. Wow. Amazing. Um, what else are you doing to fucking save the world today? <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's all I'm doing. I'm trying, and I'm trying to kill myself. That's do you it. have a surgery scheduled for this afternoon that, where you're the only man in town who can do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so great. Well, I feel worse about myself now in comparison. <laughs> um, let's dive into these emails. Nathan and Ben, your discussion in episode 101 reminded me of a real postcard that I received from OU Law last year. I've since thrown it away, but the postcard consisted of a glossy photo featuring a, quote, state-of-the-art virtual reality lab for the law students. Just in case you need proof that your cynicism is well-founded, thanks for the podcast, Aaron. That made me laugh last night when that came in. That one yeah. got skipped to the top of the agenda because that was awesome. Yeah, that came in last night and it's first now. Aaron, thank you so much. That was a very funny email. She had... Um, oh yeah, where are those links? I lost She had them. some links to the pictures, which were so... It was just so predictable, right? Some law student sitting at some computer with like the OU Law School up on the website and then looking into the virtual reality goggles. Uh, we got to put that in the newsletter. That reminds me, actually, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not signed up to get the email updates whenever we send out a new episode, you should, even if you just religiously listen whenever the podcast comes up on your podcast app or whatever, because in those emails, there are links to things that we talk about. And I think people would be missing out if they didn't get to see these things, including like these pictures. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that actually makes me think you could send us pictures and stuff too, because I've been doing the newsletter recently. Sorry that our social media and newsletter and stuff has been kind of shitty. That's because I've been managing it. Um, but and I, I would be, I don't know how to add to that. I'm not even on Twitter. So Ben's too busy doing other important projects all right, <laughs> for him to be helping with the newsletter. But if you guys, the listeners want to help with the newsletter, uh, get in touch with me and we'll see, see if, if you can uh, maybe chip in a little bit. Um, we could, we could use some, we've had volunteer help in the past, right. With, um, with social media stuff. Uh, anyway, yeah. if somebody wants to, uh, to help that way with the show, we, we could probably talk. Because yeah, I'm, sure. I'm frankly tired of doing it. And uh, yeah, um, but the, <laughs> the, the OU Law uh, Virtual Reality Lab for law students is just hilarious. <laughs> the pictures are amazing. And yeah, we'll, we'll get those out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to do the next one? Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan. If you read this on the air, please don't use my real name. Got it. Um, you are welcome to call me Humphrey after my favorite actor, Humphrey Bogart. Cool. Now, that's out of the way. I love the podcast. It really helped me through my six months of self-study in preparation for the June 2017 test. Let's tr jump right into the teaser, into that teaser in my email subject line. Scores are back, and I scored a 173. Wow, nice work. That's the uh, 99th percentile. What was the subject on the email? We don't have that. We don't have the subject. Oops. Oh. Uh, I guess that was the subject, maybe. Oh, okay. Sorry. 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 My bad. No, no, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> I know that what are you, I know what you are both thinking. This is a wonderful score and I should go into the admissions game confident and contented. Yeah. Well, that's part of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. What else are you thinking? I'm hungry. Oh, <laughs> this is a long email. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sure. But here's the thing. Leading up to the test, my score average was 177. Yeah, nice average. I know that I'm capable of a 177. Yeah. And trust it. And trust me, I have the data to back that up. That's a very Trumpian. Well, at least the trust me part is yeah. a very Trumpian. But then having data is not Trumpian at all. So, yeah. <laughs> this is sort of mixed. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, in the course of my studies, I took every modern LSAT practice test. Okay. That's right. Tests 1 through 80. Holy cow. I thought by modern, he meant like 52 and up or something. But Yeah, he didn't do the ones that are on the cave paintings and the stone tablets, but he did prep test 1 through 80. That's God, amazing. That's pretty stone tablet-ish. But yeah, yeah. yeah. not quite. About two-thirds of those were timed sections, with the remaining third being full tests under timed conditions. Hmm, sounds like a good ratio. The average of my last 15 tests is a 177 with several 180s in there as well. In case you were wondering, yes, I took all my practice tests under fully timed conditions. I swear. I'm good. The 173 was a result of test day nerves and a truly terrible testing site right next to a hospital where ambulance sirens filled the room every three to four minutes. I walked out of the test knowing I did worse than average and feeling very discouraged. I'm sure you have a lot of sympathy from our listeners right now. <laughs> I know that a 170 will get me into many great schools, but my dream school is Harvard, and I really do believe that I have the ability to get into Harvard and excel. I could spend many paragraphs extolling the reasons why I truly want to go to Harvard, blah, blah, blah. But suffice it to say, <laughs> I see Harvard Law as my best chance for fulfilling my ultimate dream of becoming a federal judge. Okay. This is this is way more feasible for me to move to. It is way more feasible for me to move to Harvard than any other school in the top three, and I have friends in the area. For reference, my undergrad GPA is a four point oh, but my <laughs> okay. This is this is all good, uh, but my resume is pretty lackluster. Let me guess, you've only served three underprivileged countries. Yeah. Um, no internships, leadership roles, work, relevant work experience. Hmm. I know that my GPA is good, but I also realize that in order to make up for my less than stellar resume, I need a solid LSAT score to be considered a safe bet at Harvard. There's no such thing. I mean, unless you're like legacy or something. I don't think there really is a safe bet at Harvard. No. I think, and this is interesting because the thing that Harvard is going to weigh the most, which is GPA, is solid, 4.0. And 173 is solid. So the things that he's worried about, his lackluster resume, is really nothing to be worried about. What it, I mean, it is probably the weakest part of his application. So in his personal statement, maybe he needs to show not academic prowess, but interests in other areas and an understanding of the world outside of school and academic pursuits. But other than that, I would feel really good about all of this. Um, okay. So 173 is good, but it's close to the median for Harvard acceptance. I'm afraid that won't be enough for Harvard to want me. No, they'll want you. And on top of, on top of it all, I just can't shake the feeling that I can do better on the LSAT. I know I can. 
My practice test averages prove it, and I'm now super worried. The difference between my actual score and my practice test scores will be the difference between acceptance and rejection. <laughs> this is an email. This could be cut down a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, all this has this, been said. So this is like first application right here to um, your school of law, right? Mm-hmm. And it needs to be cut down a little bit. There, there's too many uh, adverbs in it for one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I adverbs truly are generally want to bad. go to Harvard Law. I know you truly want to go to Harvard Law. I'm not suspecting you of lying. You want to go to Harvard Law. You could just say that. I want to go to Harvard Law. You also don't need to say it 10 times. But anyways. Yeah. Let's summarize this email. My score average was 177. I scored a 173. I've hit a few 180s. I have a 4.0 and I'd like to go to Harvard. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. All the important factors there. If you want to throw in the fact that you want to be a federal judge, awesome. Yep. Um, so, you think you can do better? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Question. Do you think I should take the LSAT again in September in order to increase my score and therefore my chances of acceptance at Harvard Law? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Of course. Uh, yeah. No brainer. Yep. No brainer. If you took it tomorrow, I would bet on you to score 177. Yeah. Because I believe you. So, um, yeah, I take it, take it in September and you don't have to do all per, all 80 prep tests again between now and then either. You can just chill out. You could do a little bit here and there. You'll stay sharp and you, I'm not, it's not a guarantee that you're going to score 177 in September, but you are a pretty good wager to do so. And yeah, I, I that, that doesn't, I, I can't see any circumstance where I would say no to the retake. Okay. Next one. Yeah. By the way, his, his next question here, I just want to point out that this is a very common question. How big of a difference do you think 173 and say 177 is to an admissions counselor at the top tier schools? This is something you can just figure out by using the LSAT GPA calculator, put in the two different numbers and see what percentage it changes. It may not change yeah. much, but that illustrates the fact that it's not a big deal. If it changes yeah. a lot, then it is. So yeah, that's, and, that's really an answer for anyone. Yeah, and also look at the 509 reports because the 509 reports don't lie about the range that was admitted. You know, mm-hmm. And if 173 is at the median and 177 is above the 75th percentile, mm-hmm. well, then yeah. that <laughs> Yes, they are thinking about that. Of course, you you put yourself into an elite elite bucket, right? You're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're at the top of the range, even at Harvard for LSAT with a 177. Yeah. So yes, it makes a it makes a huge difference. Yes, you should retake it. It could it could absolutely be the difference between getting in and not getting in at Harvard. Of course, even with a one seventy seven, you're not a sure bet. Um, they are going to be reading your personal statement. They're going to want to know what you're about. Mm-hmm. And so you know, this email it it has Humphrey Bogart, and it has I want to be a federal judge, and it doesn't then have really like what did you study what. I mean, I get it. You have just basically been a student, but you must have done something. Right. And I i mean, no internship, no leadership roles. It says no relevant work experience, but does that mean no work experience? I mean, I'd like to know what that is. Sure. And anyway, relevant, like a lot of things don't need to be relevant to law school. Well, I, I would think everything is potentially relevant to law school, yeah. right? Isn't that the whole idea that, oh, the law is surrounding us at all times? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the, it's the air we breathe. Um, 
okay. Anyway, our, <laughs> maybe we're done with Humphrey. Thank, thanks, thanks, Humphrey, for writing in. Um, and yeah, definitely retake the LSAT. Kick ass. Go to Harvard. Cool. Or go to Ben's law school. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, next email. Yeah. You want me to okay. take it? Oh, wait, it's my turn. Um, okay. Hey guys, don't care if you talk about any of this on your show or not, but feel free. Just call me something else if you would. Okay. Uh, wanted to let you know, I plan on writing up that addendum on my grades slash narcolepsy and a personal statement around narcolepsy to get your thoughts. Okay. Not sure if the personal statement will be very riveting, but I'll give it a whirl. For the addendum, I didn't plan to point out that I had low grades because of narcolepsy and engineering or make it sound like I'm making excuses. I just planned to say that my GPA was lower than it could have been due to undiagnosed struggles with narcolepsy, which has now been completely resolved. And I don't have any more issues as long as I take medication, Adderall, which I probably won't note in the addendum. Yeah, I would not note that in the addendum. I don't think. Um, okay, I took the... June LSAT and I got a 171 and it went pretty much exactly how it felt. Uh, reading comprehension missed four because I ran out of time. Blah, blah, blah. Was terrifying. Okay. Uh, logic games, I missed zero. LR, I was minus two in both sections. Had to guess on the last one. So what? That's still awesome. That said, I'm going to take it again in the fall since I don't feel my GPA will get me the school or scholarship that I'm looking to get. And because five of my eight misses were due to time, which I feel I can get that extra minute or two I need with enough practice. Yeah, okay, maybe get better at the content. Um, 171 is a pretty damn good score. I would, you know, are your practice tests higher than that? If they are, then retake it. If not, then don't. Um, just wanted some vindication that retaking makes sense from your perspective. You guys always say another point or two can mean a lot. And I know I can get minus one or zero on any section on any given test. And with two more months to study, I'm pretty sure that's attainable consistently. I really don't want to put in the two months of work when I got a good score, but even two more points would probably definitely justify the work. (laughs) All right. That was fun. Thanks for reading. And uh, the pseudonym here is Steve. Um, Steve, I would say, yeah. Hey, if you think you can do better, you probably can. 171 is a great score, but like we were just talking about, 178 is better. If you have the energy to, to keep studying a little bit between now and September, if your practice test scores indicate that you can that you can score higher, then yeah, take it again. Yeah. But you're going to have to do practice. T- it, it doesn't say anything here about practice tests, does it? Like averages or anything like that? No, mm-hmm. we don't. We don't know. Um, okay. Well, you have anything to add to that? No, I would just, I mean, I would agree with you 100%. I, I would just say, look, it's two months. If you can uh, turn a 171 even to, into like a 174, that's the difference depending on where you want to go between getting a full ride and maybe just getting a little bit of money. That seems like a really good payoff for two months of not even full-time work. You can't do this full-time. You're doing this like two hours a day, if that. 
uh, one hour a day, two if you can, but the one hour a day part is really important. So that's, that's not really that much work for the next two months. And if you can get a lot of money out of it, it seems totally worth it. Get into or, a way better school, get a lot of money out of it. Yeah. Good luck, Steve. Um, can I say, I hear this all the time. I was just talking to a tutoring student this morning on Skype that was like, I hear this all the time. I want to take the LSAT again because I don't think my GPA is good enough. Mm-hmm. That's confusing it two different issues, isn't it? What? Well, yeah. What do you mean? Well, everybody could use a better LSAT score. It doesn't matter what your GPA is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't know why people are always doing this balancing. It's like, if Steve had a great GPA, would your advice change? No, no. That's, still that's be the my point. Same month, same two months, same amount of work. Um, I mean, I can understand how, like, the the difference in GPA can make the decision easier, right? The lower it goes, the more it's like, well, you I, I have, guess I you understand have to do it. it. I understand but, it. I don't think it's actually rational though. Yeah. Like it's, it's already a fixed number. Anyway. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, that's like a sunk cost. That's just like not part of, I don't think that's part of the analysis. I think we just told Humphrey with his 4.0 and his 173 to retake it mm-hmm. because he has higher goals because everybody should have higher goals, whether that's a better school or more scholarship money. Mm-hmm. why wouldn't you get the best? I don't know. I just don't understand why you wouldn't get the best you could. If, if it's only going to be an hour a day or an hour or two a day for two months. And it, there's this dramatic, cause I think for everyone, there is a dramatic upside in getting a few more LSAT points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course it's self-serving for me to say this as a, in the LSAT business, but it's just totally true. Like it doesn't matter if you have a 3.0 or a 4.0, if you are capable of four more LSAT points, you should get them because good shit will happen to you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to, I guess, how, how painful do you really think it will be? I mean, I have to remind myself that for some people, the LSAT is excruciatingly painful. Right. And so if you're doing it wrong, I, I don't, I mean, that's, I feel like a mindset issue. It, why does it, it's, if it's excruciatingly painful, you should just not be going to law school. Well, the, maybe, I mean, it kind of depends on whether you look at like law school as a means to an end and you're just trying to get there and you really don't like tests, but you excel in all their academic environments, you know, people who score, who have high GPAs, but, um, they they just look at this as like a, a roadblock. And I, I think that part of it is you just got to be tougher and just bite the bullet. But at, at some time, at, at some, in some cases though, I do feel like I'm telling people like, okay, just throw in the towel and now focus on applying because you got to pick what you want to focus on and spend your time uh, dealing with. And in some cases that's the LSAT, uh, in some cases, that might be, well, 
your LSAT and GPA are good enough that you should turn your focus to making your application stand out. If now, you're, yeah, if you're like, if you, let's say you're going to go to Thomas Jefferson and you're looking at that scholarship matrix yeah, and you, for whatever reason, you can only go to Thomas Jefferson and you've already pegged yourself at a full ride on the scholarship matrix, then, okay, why would you take it again? Or why would you strive for two more? Why it doesn't, the points don't do anything for you at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. But <clears throat> for everyone else, I mean, and, and I also, I'm not saying you should spend the rest of your life doing this. I, I of course, I think that people should uh, move on at, at a certain point. Yeah. But I also think that you, you're going to do best on this test if you see it as a fun game that you get the privilege of playing. And because I think you can learn to see it that way. And if you can't learn to see it that way, then I question your aptitude. Honestly, it's not about, it's not about, (laughs) Oh, I suck at, I suck at tests. Yeah. Okay. But if you, if you're a serious person and you really give your, this test, your full attention and you know, I, I, I just, I don't see why you can't learn to see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I'd question people's aptitude. I think people just have different like strengths and weaknesses and likes it. And actually I think strengths and weaknesses really are a function of likes and dislikes. And I don't know how, controllable that is i think to some extent you can control that like you can you can uh grow up eating natto which is a form of japanese food that is disgusting in my opinion but i know there are many people who grow up with that and love it you know and it's a function of how much exposure you, you that you have to it and like there are so many people right that take your classes and they're like oh i hated the games at first but now i kind of enjoy them like you subject yourself to things uh, that are painful at first and you can come to like them. But I think there can be a point too, where some things we subject ourselves to them for a long time and we still just cringe at them. And maybe it's like, you need to pick a different strength and run with that instead of trying to continue fixing this weakness in your. Yeah. And that strength probably is somewhere other than law. Maybe. I mean, we'll I guess see. I'm not. We'll see, Ben. The proof is going to be when the 509 <laughs> report comes out for John Roberts' law. That's right. Because I will look at that LSAT range, and it is going to be a very high and very narrow range. I I will be shocked if you are admitting people with a 160. No, it's, no, I agree. I I I I would. On the flip side of this, as a law school. Um, admissions reviewer. I I would only want to take the best scores that I could because there's a high correlation between high scores and doing well and and high GPA too, right? I'm both of those numbers I think are very significant and telling in terms of how likely that individual is to do in this field. But I I guess I'm thinking that there are some people out there that um may have a, a competitive LSAT score, but maybe not the best score they could get or think they could get. Um, but 
it might make sense for them to turn their focus to the the other parts of their application. That's all. I, I'm not saying that like, oh, <laughs> scores don't matter, you know, or something like scores that. Scores matter a lot. Yeah, except they matter you will, a lot. You will, I mean, exceptional people are exceptional and you will, we will make exceptions. And I'm painting with a broad brush when I say that this has something to do with your aptitude, but yeah. it has something to do with your aptitude for almost everyone, unless you are some crazy weird exception. And when you look at the range at John Roberts, it is going to be very narrow and very high. And I, I don't know people who score 175 who don't enjoy the test. Mm-hmm. And Ben is going to be admitting people who score 175. So that's what I'm saying is like, if you are going to be a really kick-ass attorney, I really think you can get to love this. And okay, it doesn't apply to everyone, but mm-hmm. it applies to 999 out of a thousand so, I mean, that's my, <laughs> that's my position on it. Yeah. Excellent. Um, do we have anything else for Steve? No. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, I think it's your turn. Hey, Nate and Ben. Hope you both had a nice fourth. Ooh, this email's been in the queue for a while. I know, we got to get through them faster. Sorry, I'll try to speed up. No, it's okay. If you read this on the podcast, please do not read my name. Got it. I received a 178 on my diagnostic test. 158, man. Wow. Sorry, what? 158. Yeah, I can't read. Um, wow, that's a great uh, starting score. Since then, I've had one session with Nate, which was very helpful. Oh, class Thanks. You, Nate. Good job. Yeah. I've been listening to your podcast and diligently studying for the past few months. I took the June test and received a 165. Wow, nice job. Well, I know this is a good score. I'm still fairly disappointed because I've been scoring 170 above or above on my last 10 or so practice tests. Yeah, that is disappointing. For reference, my last five were 174, 172, 172, 174. We got a lot of emails from high. We got three emails in a row from people scoring in the 170s today. Yeah, don't let New this record. Uh, <laughs> sample <clears throat> discourage you all out there. Like, hey, everyone's getting in the 170s. No, it's still only 3%. I think my main issue... Uh, test day was that I had the hardest time just relaxing and getting over test day anxiety. The more I tried to relax and approach it as prep test 81, the more anxious I got. What also really threw me off was the five minute warning. I did my best not to panic at that point or worry about time, but I felt like I couldn't accomplish focus on anything in those last five minutes. All right, pretty common. I was yeah, but, to- well, that's why you need to practice with a five minute warning. Yeah, it is. This uh, surprises me. It did this um, nameless July Fourth celebrant um, person uh, say practice with five minute warning? Do you know? I'm thinking no. I mean, I'm inferring no. Yeah. Well, otherwise, why would it throw you off? Yeah. Here's the other thing, by the way, I think I've given this advice on the podcast before, but um, I do it all the time in class because I think it, it's surprising to people. But I tell people to think about bad things that will happen. Um, and they're like, no, no, I can't think about bad things. And I'm like, well, think about an EMT. Would you tell an, would you tell an EMT not to think about all the bad things that are going to happen when they go out on the job? Yeah. Like, oh, well, the, uh, what happens if the tourniquet doesn't work? No, no, don't think about that. That's, that's a really scary situation. No, you think about all the shit that's going to happen, and then you say, hmm, what would I do in this situation? And most of the solutions are actually not that novel or crazy or that challenging. And in this case, imagine, well, practice with a five-minute warning, but also 
imagine, imagine feeling anxious at different questions, imagine feeling anxious at the five minute warning, and just imagine yourself working through that. And then when it happens, you will work through it. The reality is things are going to happen. That's not the question. The question is, what do you do in response to those things? And that's what really messes people up. Yeah, totally. I have a lot to say about this, but go. let's read the next paragraph. and then Sure. Yeah. I was going through some significant personal issues leading up to the test and did my best to push those out of my mind and get in the right mental state going in. I know that, uh, however, I know that I, that still contributed at least in some part to my overall test day anxiety, even though that was a contributing factor. I know that it doesn't account for all of the test day anxiety I experienced. I, I know you'll hate this, Nate, but I've legitimately dealt with test anxiety my entire life. Do you want to stop here or should we keep going? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't hate that. <clears throat> I, that's real. I understand that people experience that. Sure. Um, I think the, I don't remember who this is, which is good because it's redacted, but um, he or she says um, that they're trying to push these issues out of their mind. Yeah. That sounds kind of wrong to me. Yeah. Right? Like what what would you what would like your uh, knowledge of what would your mindfulness training say about that? Embrace it. Yeah. Like a lot of times when you embrace things they're not as bad as they seem. You expect them to be worse and then when they're not, you're actually surprised by how not bad they are. <laughs> right. And right. then they go away. Yeah. The this this just generally anxiety yeah it's i think it's from resisting bad things and and from really wanting the good things mm-hmm. and you need to be become a little bit more neutral to the whole the whole idea the whole thing that you know what your practice test scores are um there's no reason why you can't score that but it's also possible you know that sometimes you have these bad scores. Yeah. So what? Yep. Um, because it's going to be a like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You're, you're, you're holding on too tight to the reins and it's, that's what's causing you to have these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I really like Ben, what you said about just accepting bad things and, an EMT is a good example. I mean, I would think that an EMT should train, should be thinking even in advance about what happens when they make a mistake and kill somebody. Yeah. Because that is probably going to happen at some point during their career. Like they're not going to save everybody. Yeah. And they're not going to do perfect in these crazy pressure situations every time. Yeah. So I would imagine, I mean, I don't know any, I'm speculating, but I would imagine that they might as part of their training have, 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 material on this idea yeah, of sure. like in advance, we need to accept that bad shit can happen and will happen probably so that we can not be so concerned about it that it causes it. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> stupid golf analogy. Uh, I think I might've talked about this actually before, but there's times in golf when you, you do very embarrassing things. Like you miss a putt, of like one foot, you know, you miss an 18 inch or one foot putt, like putt that you should never, ever miss. And anyone, Mm -hmm. even a complete novice would make nine times out of 10. 
and you've played golf your entire life, but you, you will sometimes miss that putt. Yeah. And it's, it actually makes you a much better putter to just accept that in, in advance on every putt you hit. It's mm-hmm. just like, yep, this could be the one. And not that you're dwelling on it or, and not that you're like intentionally thinking about that every time. I'm not saying that you should be trying to focus on that, <laughs> you know, every single time. But, um, if that thought crosses your mind, I think you need to just be like, well, that's a real thing that happens sometimes, but fuck it. I'm going to hit this putt anyway. And you're going to make it nine times out of 10. Yeah. You know, but, but if you, if you're up there and you're so concerned about missing that one footer and you're, you're resisting it so much, you're, you hate it so much and you're holding on so tight. Mm -hmm. And then that can actually be the glitch that causes you to miss the one foot putt. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyway, um, doesn't say anything in here about, does it say anything about meditation? I think we would probably both recommend some uh, mindfulness training here or a practice, self-training, whatever. Get an app. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Anything else? Oh, wait, we still. Sure. Uh, So redacted continues. I'm I'm signing up for the test in September, but I'm wondering if you all have any suggestions for what I should do, should be doing to prepare until then. I'm planning on setting a timer to go off at the five minute mark. That's great. I also there have a, a proctor online that will say you have five minutes. Um, you can just you have that. that on your website, Ben. Yeah, I do actually. Can people get it on their phone? Yeah, they can. It's actually just a YouTube video. So if you can watch a YouTube video, you're good. Okay. I'll, I'll send a, I'll put a link in here for it. Can people uh, download that video? Cause that seems like a lot of unnecessary streaming for people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand it's a good way to, it's an easy way to do it, but do uh, we, if we have any listeners that are app developers, we need a thinking LSAT, uh, just a simple timer app. Yep. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And I'm sure there's a way to make that. I'll make that downloadable. I'm sure there's a way to do it. Cause we have the original file, of course. So okay. yeah, we'll cool. have both of those. Um, so instead of setting a timer to have it go off in five and then have your other timer go off at 35, which would be challenging, feel free to just use that if you want to. But if you can't get that, yeah, this works too. Just need that little reminder. Yeah. I use a simple timer app called do D U E. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it was like two ninety nine or something and it allows you to set multiple countdown timers mm, yeah. and it's very easy too. So I have just, I open do, and I see a 30 minute timer and a 35 minute timer. And I just hit the switch on both of them. It takes me like three clicks mm-hmm. and boom, I have two countdown timers, awesome. one 30 minute and one 35 minute. Now I of course don't look at that and I'm not like really managing it, but yeah, when the first ding goes off, that's the five minute warning. And when the second ding goes off, that's time up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's imperfect. Hopefully we'll get our thinking LSAT uh, app made by one of our listeners. <laughs> Dude, that should be that should be seriously easy. We can we can have that up I bet, pretty quick. That'd be cool. Let's People do ask it. about that all the time. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll make everybody's life better. Um, and uh, but yeah, in the meantime, we got the, your uh, video, Ben. So that's awesome. Cool. Um, so that sounds a good like a good plan. Redacted. Uh, so I can get used to that. Yeah, that would be good. Um, but I'm wondering how frequently you think I should be studying, or if either of you have any other suggestions for how to perform better on the next one. Our advice is always the same for this, right? It's keep doing 35-minute sections, at most one a day, review the heck out of them, 
and uh, I would I would make flashcards for specific takeaways. I think the biggest mistake I hear with people when they review questions is they say things like, "Oh, uh, yeah, I got that question wrong," and I'm like, "Okay, well, what what what'd you take away from that? Like, what what would you?" Um, want to tell yourself on a future test and they're like well read more carefully i'm like yeah you know that's that's actually good you probably should be reading more carefully we're, we're always telling people to be engaged and yeah. pay attention to the passage but is there anything more specific you can say like was there a word that you didn't realize did you miss the most did you forget that strong answers are good in this kind of question or maybe weak for this kind of question yeah can you get more concrete than just pay more attention be, you know, be focused, which are probably true, but specific advice is much more memorable. And that's usable. interesting. So the practice then of writing it on the flashcard just makes people think about it and actually boil it down into something they can take away, whether or not they actually use those flashcards. Yeah, they have they have forced themselves to confront <laughs> what the issue actually was. Yeah, and to keep things simple, I tell people to pull out those flashcards every morning when they're eating breakfast. Because I feel like breakfast is one of those times where you're probably just sitting on your phone anyway, or looking at the back of a stupid, you know, cereal box, if anyone still does that. And it's like, have a box of flashcards and just flip through them and be like, oh yeah, I remember this. Or, hmm, this is a takeaway I had a couple days ago or a week ago and I'd forgotten about it. But yeah, that's a good point. Like, many is not most. <laughs> Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Cool. Cool. Uh, my turn? Sure. <clears throat> Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm sure you've been getting a ton of these emails since scores were released, so I'll do my best to be concise. I scored 171 on the June LSAT. Jesus Christ, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Our listeners are going to hate us, or they're going to be like, everyone's going to be feeling so discouraged. Like me, when I hear you and your workout and your fucking law school that you're starting. <laughs> And all our listeners are going to be like, oh, no big deal. Just four people in a row writing in with 170 somethings and complaining about them and because they want to do better. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are these are not. Well, they are representative. I mean, in a way, they're they are data points. These people do exist. These people do also tend to write emails and be very engaged. And, you know, you're going to have a nice crop of applicants for John Roberts. This yeah. is awesome. When are you starting? Uh, as soon as possible. We'll see. Maybe maybe we can pull it off this you year. You can't admit no, you can't admit a class for twenty seventeen, but you, for twenty eighteen you could definitely admit a class. Well, um it just depends on when you, the school starts, right? Like I don't know if it necessarily has to start at the normal time. Oh, that's true. It it can be a totally it doesn't need to do to be the typical thing at all. Yeah. Is it gonna be virtual? Uh, it's, <laughs> with goggles. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be VR, dude. That's the edge. That's that's where things are going. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. No, I do think that you definitely have to leverage some online stuff so that you can reduce the cost of, you know, uh, teachers and teaching time and stuff like that. But I think there is benefits to having people meet in person too. So I think it's a mix of both, honestly. You know, they pay like. I, I think the adjuncts that were at Hastings that were teaching legal writing mm. were paid like nothing. I don't think that they were getting really hardly any money. I think I they think gave them credit. Don't you think? I think that's what it was. Gave them credit? Yeah, like they gave them credits for teaching the class. 
Well, I mean, well, like, like I had just like, like a, taking a class. Like it's like you get a maybe you get you think oh like CLE credit. Uh, well, no, I just was thinking you have to take a certain number of classes to graduate. I would imagine. No, but these were people who were already practicing attorneys. I mean, the. I'm, oh, I'm not well, see, about I had TAs. like two L's and three L's teaching the class. I had two L's and three L's that were like TAs. There was like a TA for the discussion oh, group, yeah, but no, there was also right. yeah, a, yeah. an adjunct. Oh, for TA, sure. For, for sure. Lawyer, yeah. Sorry. I was talking about charge. the two L's and three L's, but for the adjuncts. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I think, I think some of them were doing it for free to get their name as like, you know, someone who just put it on the resume. thing. Jesus. Or, oh yeah. Wow. Um, of course you'll be, I mean, are you planning to do any of the teaching? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I have a legal writing background. So, um, would I present myself as an expert in this area? No, but I am an expert in terms of where to find the best resources. And, uh, I, I do, I do know a lot more than most people. So, and it's actually very disappointing, uh, how little law, uh, school professors, not the adjuncts, the full-time professors who are in charge of these writing programs, how little they know about the legal writing uh, situation at law firms. It's, 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 uh, it's just downright ridiculous. It's, um, they shouldn't even be calling themselves professors. I know I'm going to frustrate people for saying that. There are some people out there who know what they're talking about, but the vast majority have no clue. So that's why there's actually a booming legal writing uh industry out there where law firms are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to train their attorneys to become better writers because none of that is happening in law schools and not only is none of that happening but you have people teaching attorneys to do things differently from what they were taught in law school so it's not even like oh well you got a little start here we're going to help continue that it's like no we're going to take what you learned throw it out the window and then start rebuilding from the ground up. Anyway, yeah, that's amazing. You, you're going to have. I would. Are you going to do bar prep as part of the curriculum? Uh, I think that you have to think about. Yeah, I think that it would be a small part of it. But I think you can do bar preparation actually much faster than Barbary and other programs do it, because. My sense, at least when I took a a class, was that they were concerned about being sued. And so they didn't actually do it in the most efficient way possible. They gave you all the information in these huge tomes that were useless. (laughs) Yeah, just to show like, hey, look at all this. If you would have just learned all this material, you didn't learn all of our material. So, of course, you didn't pass the bar. You didn't do all of the homework. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's all in writing. So if you ever sue them, they'd be like, that information was provided to you. Yeah. It's on you. Yeah. But that actually decreases your chances of succeeding because now you have to sort through all the information and decide yeah. what to focus on. So I think if you just bite the bullet and say, no, 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 we're going to help you figure out what to focus on, which is a very small percentage of all of that garbage, yeah. uh, you can do it in less time and have better results. And you're going to be admitting such high quality applicants that you're going to know that they're going to be successful anyway. Yeah, you give them the right tools and they'll run in the right direction and it'll be fine. So If you make it small and if you give it away or if you make it very reasonable for the best candidates, mm-hmm. uh, especially at first, like you're saying, uh, maybe weed it out, thin them out, 
um, mm-hmm. along the way, then yeah, bar passage rates are going to be really high. That's part yeah. of the reason why bar passage rates have fallen so much, right? Is because they never yeah. fail anybody out of law school anymore. Yeah. It used to be, that's a really good way to have a high bar passage rate. If you're a school, like if you, Oh, you're looking for a solution school, you're embarrassed at your low bar passage rate. Oh, good. Start actually failing people from your classes. Cause they're not doing the work or yeah. they're not learning anything. <laughs> you're, you're just, you know, it's just, you're just cashing in essentially. Yeah. You're just you letting wanna... them pay you tuition. <laughs> that is so criminal. You're letting them pay tuition and you know that that individual already based on their performance in your law school, you have all the data on them. You know they are not going to succeed. And you're like, yeah, by yeah. the way, your third year tuition is due. Please cough it up. But of yeah. course, they're not paying it. The federal government is or whoever else made the loan. And they'll be paying it for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I should have failed. I, th- I think I've said this before, but I was so tuned out in law school. I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't show up. I, I asked one of my professors. She had a mandatory attendance policy and I got an exclusion from it. <laughs> How'd you pull that one? I emailed her and I told her I didn't want to come to class. I was like, I'm not getting anything out of the class. Do I have to go? And she was offended because it was a dick thing for me to do. But I was just so tuned out of law school. You know, yeah. I just I didn't want to be there. And but I stupidly kept going. And yeah, I feel like it's it, it's it's of course it's on me. I'm an adult, you know, mm-hmm. and I make my own decisions in life. But it's on them a little bit, too, because they were the ones that were getting rich off of it. Mm-hmm. And they did not give a shit. I mean, it, even yeah, even this professor, I mean, she should have said no. It's a it's right on her syllabus. It's a mandatory policy. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to attend all the classes or you have to attend the class. And I, I just, yeah, emailed him and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I just don't really get anything out of these discussions. And so I'm wondering if it's okay if I, if I don't go and <laughs> yeah, she's, she said, sure. <laughs> yeah. And I got a B or whatever in the class. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's because your grade is based like solely on your almost entirely on your last essay, right? Or your well, last, it's a great uh, exam. It's a grade bump upper. She had a, she had one of those like class participation counts for a grade bump mm-hmm. things. Right. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I could have got, uh, I mean, I'm, I guess I must've gotten a B plus on the exam, mm-hmm. which is the exact average of the middle of the class. And then, yeah, I got a, a, a negative grade bump for <laughs> getting an exclusion from the class, Wow. but still it's a B. Yeah. You know, and they're, oh, yeah, happy to have you back next semester. You're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same, like, triangle relationship that you have with patients, doctors, and insurance companies, right? The patient and the doctor don't care. They're like, sure, order another test because they're not the ones paying. Like, the doctor benefits, the patient gets whatever test they may or may not need, and the insurance company who's not there has to pay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, wow. Where were we? Um, <laughs> I don't know. We're in this, we're, I don't know how we got there. That was a crazy, uh, crazy digression. Anyway, I scored 171 on the Junel set, which was the kind of score I was shooting for when I began to prep last winter. Okay. Um, while I'm obviously happy to have reached this level over the course of my prep, I was averaging a slightly higher score, a little over 172. When looking at my 10 most recent practice tests and closer to 173 
on the last five. Uh, you're looking, you're, you're slicing it a little fine there. Uh, the 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 ooh the trend from a little over 172 to closer to 173. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that really means. It's you're between 172 and 173 on your last ten. Yeah, sounds like they're averaging and getting like 172.3 and then 172.8. Ooh, and then oh, that, 173. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm a regular listener of your podcast, and I understand that playing with data like this can be tricky, and that my score is well within the range someone with that average would be likely to receive. However, I'm wondering if it would be worth it to retake the test in September and try to eke out a few more points. Just to explain my situation a little better, I graduated from a Big Ten university in May with a 3.99 GPA and plan on applying to law school this fall. I'm most interested in schools such as Chicago Northwestern, Michigan, but also plan on applying to most of U.S. News Top 14, and we would uh, definitely refer you to those above-the-law rankings instead of the U.S. News rankings. Uh, I will not have time for a prep course between now and the test date due to my work schedule, but should be able to set aside time each evening for self-study if I decide to retake the test. Okay. Scholarships are very important to me and will definitely play a role in my choice of school. Do you think, what do you think my best course of action would be? Uh, Thanks so much for your time and excellent podcast. All the best. Cody. Um, Yeah. Thanks for writing. Yeah. Well, I would, I think we'd say the exact same thing to Cody that we said. Similar advice. Yeah. Steve, right? Like, Keep practicing 35-minute sections. If yeah. your average test scores go above, say, 173, 174, then take it again. I mean, it yep. depends on whether those are retakes, I guess. If they're retakes, then you want to push it a little higher just to be sure you're really above that. But, yeah. It doesn't sound like Cody did all 81 practice tests. <laughs> practice tests. So Cody, you didn't Co- go back to the stone tablets. I don't know yeah. why. Cody seems a little more relaxed, um, which is good. And Cody also has awesome grades and is going to end up going to a fantastic law school. Um, definitely, if you can stomach it, which I don't know why you can't because you're so good at it, uh, keep practicing a little bit after work every day, one section a day. Do it when you're well-rested and feeling optimistic about the test, feeling happy to do it. And if you can eke out a few more points on your practice tests, then I don't know why you wouldn't take it uh, again in September. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have any, Oh, I wanted to say, um, I think this is the best of the four emails we have received so far today. Yes. Oh, the a best lot of detail. And it's the best written. Short. It is concise. The sentences are well-crafted. It was easy to read. It doesn't have typos and all kinds of crazy mistakes in it. Um, I think Cody right now, Ben, if I had to pick one out of these four for John Roberts, I got my eye on Cody. Yeah. A couple other things about Cody. Cody puts a comma between two independent clauses in one sentence. That's a rare uh, thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Um, could use a semicolon yeah or a comma and more paragraphs uh and more paragraphs yeah like 
this doesn't you can break paragraph you can break this paragraph up into shorter paragraphs oh you're I'm not saying to make it longer yeah <laughs> i see i still think it was very nice yeah i'm just you know i enjoyed it just but it can, we can always get car. better yeah. yeah we can all we can always improve um all right cool thanks cody hey i'm just gonna put in one plug here so with the 35 minute sections if you're not already doing so cody and you don't have a system to do it feel free to use my score tracker because you can put in individual sections one at a time and find some videos for some of those questions especially if other people have asked about them before in class um you can just keep track of all that information. You can take notes on questions that you found challenging um, and keep track of questions that you might want to review again later. So, You want to give the address for that? Sure. So if you go to strategyprep.com, you'll see a link in the top right-hand corner that says student account. If you click on that, that will take you to the score tracker. Awesome. Cool. Should I read the next one? Yeah. Oh, people are going to hate us. I already see the number. Yeah. Hey, Ben and Nathan, just wanted to say a quick thank you for the podcast. I self-studied for the June LSAT and found your podcast to be so helpful as a supplement to my reading, drilling, and practice tests. I ended up scoring a 173, in large part because I had a confident and calm mindset going into the exam, saying thanks to all of your tips. Just gave you a $30 donation for those three points above 170. Thanks again. It's fine to use my name if you read this. Thank you, Susie. That's awesome. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, that's another donation, too. I met, she must have given that to us last week or something. I, I don't think that one it. might have been a long time ago because we're, yeah. we're still digging through this backlog of emails. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Susie. Yeah. Uh, hi, Ben and Nathan. Thank you very much for your time and effort on your podcasts. I'm an engineer in the aerospace industry and have a BS in civil engineering, 3.6, an MS in mechanical and aerospace engineering, 3.9, although I don't really care, and an MSE in systems engineering, also 3.9. And again, I don't really care. Grades in graduate school tend to be inflated. I'm not sure if that's true in engineering or not, but, you know, I think it doesn't matter for your application, really. Your uh, The fact that you have those degrees is nice. That's awesome. But I don't think the GPA in those degrees really matters very much. I'm 31 and have been thinking quite a bit about moving to law, intellectual property, but I am not sure how competitive my past work experience and educational background will help me with an IP-focused school. Well, if they are legitimately focused on IP, then I would absolutely think that your background would be attractive to them. Your background um, is exactly the kind of thing that IP lawyers should have. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you almost like you just shouldn't be an IP lawyer unless you have that background, right? Yeah. Or you're going to be at a crazy advantage in that field. So, yeah. Various websites show that high undergraduate GPAs are the most common for law school admissions, but there isn't much data on the types of degrees these students have. Does a 3.6 in engineering put me at a disadvantage over a 4.0 in a, quote, less challenging major? Also, what impact would my two master's degrees have on my selection? I haven't taken the LSAT, but plan to do so in December. Thanks. K. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to do it? Yeah. So uh, law schools do take into account your GPA, your major, and your school. So those things are all going to matter. And just think about it like (laughs) 
if you were a reviewer and someone came to you with a criminal justice degree uh, versus someone who came to you with an engineering degree, I think you would recognize that one is much more challenging than the other. The same goes yeah. for physics or any math intensive economics program or just straight up math, although most people who yeah. do math are also smart enough to realize that they don't want to go to law school. But um, yeah, all the, 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 the major matters and I'm not, I wouldn't worry. I don't know how to compare a 3.6 in engineering to 4.0 and something else, but I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. You know, this is a good, I want to make a little pitch. I was in San Francisco teaching my class last weekend and I had a beer with a former student and that former student was also an engineer and he is enrolling at Santa Clara University uh, Law this fall, and he is going to be in their part-time program. He's going to be working uh, at an at a law firm, but he's in a special program for patent agents. Mm. He's a patent agent, and it's I think it's not like super impossible for and people with engineering backgrounds to become patent agents. Mm -hmm. And it's one way that you can work while you're in law school. And his firm is actually just paying for his whole tuition to go to Santa Clara. Wow. Yeah. So that's another route to getting to law school in an affordable manner. And I'm going to start pushing people or at least, you know, advising people who have these technical degrees to, yeah, definitely think about leveraging them in this sort of a program because like K could also just take the LSAT, get into law school and like pay tuition like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But if you really are interested in IP, which you, clearly your background here indicates that you're, you're interested in technical stuff for sure. Yeah. And if you really are into IP, I would think that you would be interested in being a patent agent, right? Yeah. So think about it. Um, that's great advice. The master master's degrees are going to matter kind of soft in a soft sort of a way. Um, the best advice here for K of course, is just get the best LSAT score you can. Cause that's, what's going to get them really looking at, you know, looking at the details. Yep. If you show them your one, I'm going to consider this our sixth 170 in a row. Mm -hmm. K doesn't say any practice test scores, but with all of this engineering, you know, I mean an engineer in aerospace, with yeah. a 3.6 in civil engineering undergrad, probably from a good school, doesn't say, mm -hmm. but still 3.6 in civil engineering. I'm going to say K is another 170 something, and that will definitely get them looking at all of this other stuff, including your two master's degrees. Yeah. So, yeah, I see good things. I guess my, my random question for K now is, why are you moving from aerospace to law? <laughs> aerospace sounds yeah. so exciting. I agree. That's where everything is changing. That's where everything's happening. I mean, it is really cool to see what they're trying to figure out. Like, how feasible is it to get people into space? And it's really just a matter of cost. Can we bring the cost down so that it becomes an economically feasible thing for a large number of people, even if not vast numbers of people, if you can make it somewhat affordable to upper middle class or, you know, lower... <laughs> Uh, upper class, whatever that means, then all of a sudden it becomes something that can take off, you know, because there's money that can be spent on it. And I think that's what Elon Musk is trying to do is bring the cost down. And boy, once that happens, everything's going to change. 
You want to go to space, Ben? You're gonna go. What? I mean, are you talking I don't about know that space I station? Go to space. Are you talking about other planets? What are you? What are you talking about? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think that. So, for example, when Musk was trying to bring down the cost of just shooting uh, satellites into space, people became very excited because. There are a lot of people who want to put satellites into space right. for smaller projects, but it's just not economically feasible, so you just don't even consider that. And so then once that becomes like somewhat affordable, all of a sudden people start jumping on board and say, well, wait, if we can do that, then maybe we can do this. And so it, I'm not exactly sure where it would all go, but when you bring the cost down for certain things, then all of a sudden uh, – a whole bunch of other things open up. I mean, even like the, the the Tesla cars, right? They're based off of these, well, I think they were originally based off of these ion batteries or lithium batteries, sorry. Ion lithium or lithium ion batteries. And that came about because people had made them cheaper by trying to perfect them for laptops. So laptops, you know, the all the money that went into laptops drove down or drove down the cost of lithium ion batteries and increased their their effectiveness and all this stuff to the point where it's like, oh, they're strong enough now we can put them into cars. And so then you start putting them into cars and all of a sudden it's like, now we figure out how to put a bunch of these together. So we're not just doing small things like laptops, we're doing huge things like cars. And then someone's like, oh, well, if we can do that, then we can do this and yada, yada, yada. So I guess as the cost for space um, endeavors goes down, what we can do and what we can take advantage of out in space might go up dramatically. I mean, it might be something as simple as, I mean, I know this is stupid, but just as I'm talking, like, oh, we have a problem with trash. Well, if there's a way to get <laughs> cheap, if it's cheap to get trash out into space, I can't imagine that it would ever become that cheap. But if it, if it could be, then you could just like send stuff off and it's like, well, who cares where that trash goes? I mean, space is ginormous. So send it away from the planet, and all of a sudden you can start doing all these things that you couldn't do before because the cost had come down. That's a pretty stupid thing. Like, oh, yay, we've finally been able to get rid of our own trash. But, you know, all I'm saying is that a lot of things can happen. And so here, here's this guy, Kay, or, or girl, sorry, I don't know who you are, but um, you're talking about going from aerospace engineering, the future, to law, which to me just sounds like, <laughs> the 18th century well of course they need lawyers right i mean elon musk definitely has lawyers sure um, but yeah i just feel like but it would be so much more exciting garbage yeah wouldn't it be so much more exciting to be one of his engineers than to be his lawyer or work for his competitors right work for jeff bezos at uh amazon he's got uh, blue origins there's so many other startups now too that are thinking like hey as these costs come down, I can we can piggyback off of this and start making technologies that can go into space, that can do different different things. And wow, you just like totally change the game for so many different yeah. fields. And I just feel like IP law is always reactive, right? It's like, oh, there's a problem. Let's see how we can uh, come in and referee everything. And it's zero annoying. sum. I feel like in so many ways, it just seems zero sum. Yeah, it's just for every winner, there's a loser and you're, you know, you're, you're fighting, you're, you're trying to divide up the pie instead of making the pie bigger mm -hmm. and you're suing each other over the pie. And it just, I don't know. It just seems small to me compared to, compared to aerospace. Yeah, certainly.
All right. If that's what you want to do, great. Go do it. Have fun. Life is short. Have fun. <laughs> kick ass. Be a kick ass lawyer. Do it. Do it. Um, okay. Next one. I yeah. think it's your turn. Sure. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I tried my best to edit down this email for you. If you decide to read this on your show, please don't use my name. Okay, cool. We'll call you M. You can just call me M. Perfect. Just like a game. I discovered your podcast back in March about a month after I began studying for my second attempt at the LSAT. I can't even begin to explain how helpful your podcast has been for, for me during my study. And I wanted to somewhat briefly share my story with you before asking a question about law school admissions. Ooh, okay, in my final year of college, I knew I wanted to do something in government, but I wasn't sure in what capacity, so I took the LSAT on a whim. Clearly, I hadn't discovered your wisdom yet, and I scored a 154. Hmm, not bad. After graduating university last year, I got involved in politics, only to face a serious a series of incidences that left me both feeling disturbed with many aspects of our current political system and facing some mental health issues. Ooh. I hope the mental health issues weren't a result of the involvement apocalypse <laughs> with politics, but I guess that's probably not totally were crazy. though. Yeah, and you follow that shit, it's nuts. It is Jesus. nuts. That's a zero sum game. <laughs> I've been thinking about unfollowing Trump on Twitter because it's just too much. It's too insane. It, his everything, everything is just too insane, and then everybody's commenting on him is too insane too. Yeah, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm thinking about paring down my Twitter a little bit more and again, re recommitting myself to the idea that I'm only going to follow people who tweet jokes. Hmm. That's what I really want is jokes. It's funny. If the shit is funny, I want to read the tweet. If it's not funny, um, it better be helpful to me in my daily life. Like give me some announcement about something that's happening that I can attend or, you know, something like that. That's awesome. But fucking just people popping off, including the president. Yeah. He's so he's so beneath everybody. That's the worst. <laughs> can't take a can't take a punch. In this the dude of- is the worst. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So we understand where your mental health issues came from. In the wake of this, I decided to leave the East Coast and move to a small town of less than 300 people in the on the West Coast. Holy cow! It's a change. Where I've been working as a baker. Yes, like. A bread baker. That's a small ass town. 300 people. Yeah. And you're the baker? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this is. <laughs> Do these what places exist? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Because it's like uh, this person moved 3,000 miles and 200 years back in time. Wow. Right? Completely yeah. switching coasts. And I mean, I don't know where they lived before this, but she, M had been at university. So my he, guess is M was in DC, no? Maybe? Like East Coast? Could be very very well, yeah, East Coast somewhere, so it's DC or New York or whatever, Philly, but it's all, you know, it's still it's East Coast politics world and or serious, you know, population density and stuff. Yeah. And move to the west with much less population density and way less population density in your tiny town of 300 people where you're the baker. That's incredible. That's amazing. Cool, yeah. Yeah. Make some good bread. Okay, the idea was to get some space from the hostile environment I had been operating in and see and to see if I actually wanted to work in politics. Okay. As you can guess, I realized I did want to get back into politics and resolved 
to use my time out west to save money for law school and study hard for the LSAT. Actually, that's not what I would have guessed. But <laughs> No, I would have guessed that you would have just decided that your life as a bread baker was awesome and your town of 300 people was great and you were happy and healthy and sleeping better than you ever had before. Um, gathering flowers by the side of the road in your little village. Rocking in a chair and discussing the local politics. <laughs> Oh, but then getting all fired up about politics. Yeah. Probably, oh God, looking <laughs> at Twitter and getting all agitated again. And now you're going to come back, come back to law school and the LSAT. Okay. All right. Come back fighting. Good for you. Yeah. Get, I'm going to say right now, I love this plan of saving money and studying hard for the LSAT. You want to make a difference in politics that starts with a kick-ass LSAT score and get yourself a scholarship. No, it's true. You, uh, Command respect when you go to a good law school and step into the fray and say, look, I know what I'm talking about. Well, and don't go so much into debt that you end up not being able to actually do the work that you want to do. That's true. When you leave law school and you want to go, I mean, this person knows more about politics than I do, but from talking to people here, a lot of times you got to start on some pretty low paying jobs, right? You're like, yeah, I'll volunteer and help with this campaign. Oh, yeah. You impress people. You can't do that when you're in debt. So... Yeah, that yeah. shit doesn't doesn't pay. So yeah, get get yourself while you're baking bread and take all the time you need, you know, and get a really great LSAT score, get into a great school, get a scholarship, and that's how you start. I mean, that's a great start on changing the world. Uh, signing your name and going two hundred thousand dollars into debt is actually a really bad start on changing the world. Yeah, I'm imagining this person having a warm loaf of bread next to their LSAT books. The ten actual official LSAT c- questions. Candlelight, <laughs> yeah. fresh churned butter. <laughs> I didn't think about the candle, but yes. Oh, my candle is low. I must get a new one. It's keeping warm by the by the oven. <laughs> oh, this is good. Because I'm living in an area devoid of LSAT tutors and with un. Oh, that's weird. They don't have any LSAT tutors in the town of 300 people. <laughs> they used to have one, but they got run out of town. Yeah, get out of here with your logic. Yeah. And with unreliable access to the internet. Ooh, wow. I had to self-study, and your podcast made a huge difference for me. Hmm. I spent the month leading up to the test working several seven days a week at both the bakery and another restaurant, and I appreciated being able to listen to your podcast during the hours where I couldn't be physically taking practice tests or reviewing my prep books. This time around, I scored a 165, 11 points higher from my first attempt. Sweet. Nice. Um, fun fact. This relatively small increase, relatively small increase, it's a big increase, uh, in my score moved me from the 60th percentile to the 92, 92nd percentile. Yeah, that's, that seems pretty big. I'll well, be a- the, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is not relatively small. In fact, you just proved that it is relatively big. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> I'm going to use some evidence to prove the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I get it. It is a small uh, nominal increase of 11 points. It sounds small. Yeah. Um, And and that's what I think a lot of people get confused by, right? They're like, oh, I just went from, uh, I just went up a few points. Yeah. I really wish they would add a zero. Add a zero? Oh, to like the, uh, to the scale? 
Yeah, the LSAT should be from 1,200 to 1,800. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. That, because yeah. then this would be a 110-point increase. And yeah. it would be like, yeah, sweet. Yeah, look, 110 points, it moved me up from the 60th to the 92nd percentile. Yeah. That sounds like it would move you that much. But yeah, no, the LSAT scoring scale is super compressed. So every point moves you past, like, you know, 2% of all of your competitors. Or here, every point she increased moved her past 3% of all of her competitors. And so, yeah, she moved past 30% of all other people taking the LSAT Yeah. Uh, by moving her score from a, 160, a 154 to a 165. And if you assume 100,000 people take it a year, which is a rough, good estimate, I think that's 30,000 people. 30, yeah, she moved people. past 30,000 other applicants. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's stepping ahead of in line. She's just cut in front of 30,000 other people. She, she passed... Imagine your hometown. Multiply that by a hundred. <laughs> uh, you just you just jumped over one hundred of your towns. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be applying for the 2018 cycle and will be moving back to the East Coast soon to find a job or internship that will ease me back into the political sphere before I be- begin school. I don't know if you can ease back from a town of 300, but in any case, should I include an addendum in my applications explaining the difference between my first and second LSAT score? The reality is that neither score was a fluke. They both simply represented my drive towards attending law school at two different stages of my life. What do you think? Sure. I mean, I mean, if they ask about that, if they ask, then definitely. Yeah. Um, I actually, it doesn't sound like that bad of an idea. I mean, it is a big, well, it's a big improvement, right? Mm -hmm. And so I might lead with something like, um, for a school that doesn't ask, I might say something like, you know, I'm sharing this because I've, other schools have asked me or something like that. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not necessary to do that, but, um, no, I, this, I would say exactly what, she has said so far here just would you want to point out that you took the LSAT on a whim or would you want to just no, focus on no, the fact no. that you improved yes, yeah I, t- I took I after getting a 154 I realized that um, I could do better so I I studied a lot and or for x amount of months and was able to improve my score today. that just shows you work hard and you can set out and accomplish goals better. Yeah, don't say you took it on a whim. It's, <laughs> it's, it just makes you look like you're you just do things like, or it makes you it doesn't make you think. They want a serious person. Yeah, and you are now a serious person. You have become a serious person. You have improved a lot. You have gotten yourself a serious LSAT score, and yeah, so focus on that. Yeah. The the uh, the purpose of this memo is to explain the difference in my LSAT scores. And then just focus on, I rededicated myself, you know, I took some time. You could even put in about the baker and everything. I like it. I like the small town of less than 300 people and being a baker. That's not a bad detail. You could put that in there, one sentence. I would allow you one sentence because it's so interesting. Yeah, and it'll set you apart. There are no other bread bakers from a 300-person town applying to law school. I guarantee that. And, And especially not with a 165. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you could you could focus on that. I mean, so sure. I mean, that's like a one paragraph addendum. Mm-hmm. You could also potentially fold it into your personal statement. I, I don't know. 
if you're going to write a personal statement mm-hmm. about this experience being a baker. Yeah, I don't know if I'd talk about the scores in a personal statement. It seems a little... Yeah, well, at that point, maybe you don't even need the... The addendum. Yeah, because you just... All, all you're doing... You, if your personal statement is about this transformation, mm-hmm. then I don't think you need to also have an addendum about the transformation. Yeah. So it just depends what you want to write, what you want to write your personal statement on, I guess. She continues. Additionally, this past year of my life has be, been huge in helping me decide what I want to do with my life and the role law school plays into that. Okay. As such, I would like it to be the focus of my personal statement. Wow. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> but is there such a thing as too narrow a personal statement? No, most personal statements are way uh, too broad. They try totally. to cover everything. What you need to do is dive into a story. You only have 250 words in most cases, or even if you're not limited to 250 words, you should think about limiting it to 250 or 500 250 words? 250 words? Yeah, some of them limited to that. Are you serious? I'm pretty what sure. What happened to two pages? Well, that's a common constraint as well. I'm just saying... I'm two pretty pages sure is a lot more than 250 words. Why do I have that number in my head? I don't know. That's 250 words is short. It is short, but I do feel like, well, okay, that could be wrong. Um, as you know, we guarantee everything we say in this <laughs> podcast. Your money back. I don't know why I have that in my head. I, I seriously have that in my head. Like, I feel like I've read that as like, please limit your statement to 250 words or 500. I feel like I've seen those two numbers. Well, anyways, definitely uh, two pages double-spaced is uh, a constraint that's out there a lot. And even if they don't say that, you should keep it to that. Most people's personal statements are way too long. They have too much to say. They are walls of text, just like all the emails out there. Yeah, and too broad, too too just rehash your resume and not tell a story. Yeah. I want a story. Jump into the story. Vivid details. Mm -hmm. I want action. I want right off the bat. I want... I want to smell the bread. <laughs> I want to smell the bread and see the candle. No, I do. Look at this. Have you have you watched an old movie? Oh, old movie recently. Um, man, now I'm thinking about Abraham Lincoln. This is Abraham Lincoln kind of thing, right? The candlelight and the studying for the LSAT. Oh no, I was just thinking like. Whenever I watch an old movie, no, 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 I'm not responding to your old movie thing. Sorry, I. I oh, wait, <laughs> I what? Yeah, the image that I want in this personal. St- I'm writing M's personal statement. Oh yeah. I want M to come off as Abraham Lincoln in this, with the baking bread and studying the outside by candlelight. I mean, that would be lying, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> anyway, that's the mo- that's the like emotion I'm going for in M's personal statement, and it is not too narrow to be doing that. You need to be telling a story. So vivid details and absolutely tell a story. Okay. Have I watched an old movie lately? Um, no, I have not. So I haven't done it either because the last time I watched an old movie, even just from like the nineties, but like they're so freaking slow. Yeah. They don't hold up. I mean, movies these days are just, so good i mean and so you know what actually i did see so how about this i was on a plane and um the people uh there was a dude in front of me who was watching like 80s movies the whole flight Mm -hmm. and he i so i i looked over his shoulder at two oldish movies Mm -hmm. one of them looked awesome and one of them looked unbelievably terrible the terrible one was weekend at bernie's Mm. 
it, that I mean, I remember laughing at that hysterically when I was like 10. Yeah. But it, it that movie, it never, I'm sure, was good. And in retrospect, looking at it again, it's like, oh, my God. Wow. What were we doing with this in the 80s? I mean, I still <laughs> I got some it was like a sight gag for 90 minutes. Yeah. With the dead body and them dragging him around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, But the other one was Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that shit still looks awesome. Yeah. That's still a great movie. That Anyways, movie. not but, to shit on your point, but no, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I even I think if uh, I can't, I haven't seen Back to the Future recently. But when you watch these movies that are a little bit older, they just they take a lot more time to yeah. get into what's going on. They have a lot more conversations that don't have yeah. any point to the the movie. Absolutely, broadly, yeah. right? And so that's what a lot of personal statements are like, right? They just start out and they're they're kind of talking about things and you're like, dude, what does this have to do with anything? Yet, ironically, the, a more recent movie is just as long, but they pack in way more because they're, they're, when they go through that editing process, and some people hate this, but when they go through it, they're like, dude, does this advance the plot or not? And if it doesn't, it's out. And that's what you need to do with your personal statement. You need to say, hey, look, is this sentence, is this clause advancing my story or what I'm trying to say? or the point I want to make to this law school, or is it just verbal garbage, right? And therefore yeah. should be taken out because it's like chit-chat between two characters that have no you know, benefit except for making you like feel like you're listening in on a conversation that you don't care about. Yeah, we can go ahead and jump right in. We don't need to introduce everything that's going on. You don't need to give me the biography of every of every character. Yeah, or in, your in parents advance. or your grandparents. Like <laughs> people like to point out that their grandparents immigrated to this country. That's awesome. If that's really central to your story, it should be half of a sentence. It should be after my grandparents immigrated to America from yada yada, comma. Yeah, it's also I'm not the beginning of your story. Yeah, I mean, you can give me that detail in the in the middle of the in the middle of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't need that detail up front. That's mm-hmm. just not a vivid, exciting detail. Yeah. And, and also like, you know, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then when I was in high school, this desire deepened when I blah, blah, blah. If that's the beginning of your story, that sucks. They're not finishing that personal statement. Ugh, that's like everyone else. That's just, yes, you and all 5,000 of these applicants have that exact same story to tell Mm -hmm. or something similar to that something similarly boring yeah so i want to you got to give me give me some yeah an anecdote something that happened at work to you one time Mm -hmm. i'm way more interested in the car accident that you got in or the like uh, anything Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) anything different interesting uh real vivid detail Give me, yeah, give me your bread recipe. Just, but <laughs> I'm serious, though. Little like, known fact. No, fun well, fact. wouldn't this personal statement be so much better if it was starting off? To, or like, couldn't you could have a great personal statement that starts off with like salt and flour and the oven and whatever. I mean, it's like now you're, yeah, you're the reader's like, oh, shit, this is different. Yeah. Well, what of if course, this? Then you, yeah, go ahead. Well, of course, then you have to make it something about law school, but you, you can, you can tell the story in so many different interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking of this email and what if you had written to us and said, after trying politics in Washington, DC details, by the way, are very interesting. They make things 
come alive. Um, I decided to move to a town of 300 people and become a bread baker. You'd be like, what? Boom. Yeah. First sentence needs to end with bread baker. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. In any case, so no, there is no such thing as a too narrow personal statement. Will admissions committees find it odd if I de-emphasize my academic career in favor of my post-grad experience, considering that it has only been a year? No, I don't think you need to focus on your academic career unless your academic career is like weak. Then maybe that's the weakness in your application and you need to talk about some academic things that show you're you're not gonna you know lose steam in law school right well they have your transcript they know about your academic career yeah i'm just saying like if your academic transcript is weak if you have a low gpa or something like that um i feel like ann levine has pointed this out before like you take a look at your application as a whole you figure out what's weak in it and you use your personal statement to address that so Maybe talking about your journey to law school is the most interesting thing that you can talk about, and therefore you should talk about it. But maybe law school reviewers are going to be like, yeah, but are you going to be able to cut it here in law school? And therefore, you need to take the time in your personal statement or some other statement to show your academic chops. So I guess I'd be thinking about that. Okay. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. There's so many different stories you could tell. So yeah, yeah. choose wisely uh, what your personal statement's about. And if you can take a weakness in your, in your, uh, application and turn it into a strength, uh, via the personal statement, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, uh, M and thank you both for all your help. Sincerely MPS. I'll be making a donation to the show. Once I get my next paycheck as a small, thank you for all the thinking Elsa has done for me. Wow. That's so nice. Um, I don't know what to say. Yeah, thanks so much. If you uh, want to make a similar donation, you can go to our website, thinkinglsat.com, and uh, we will use those donations for fun stuff. Uh, I think for this one, we'd have to go buy bread. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, cool. Well, what do you think, Ben? Should we wrap it up there for today? Yeah, that sounds good. Jeez, there's so many more here. I know, I know. So we got to get people to just... I feel like we're getting behind. Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is, we might have to start not discussing every single email that comes to the show. I mean, we already do, right? Sometimes we just fire back a quick email and say, hey, thanks for writing. Uh, Here's our quick advice. So we do do that. Help at thinkinglsat.com. We will definitely respond. One and or both of us will respond. Um... So please get in touch. And yeah, uh, we are we are both fans of good writing. And Ben's about to start teaching writing to lawyers. <laughs> and so if you take the time to edit down the stuff you send us, we will greatly appreciate it. And we will um, be able to give you better advice and give everybody better advice if we all agree to uh, have a point and make it. Yeah. One thing about that, by the way, sorry, this will, will make things a lot easier for us to get through these emails quickly. But when you're writing a short email, and this is what you said earlier, Nathan, that does not necessarily mean an email devoid of details or interesting facts or your situation. It just means writing that stuff down and then cutting out all the clutter, shortening sentences that could be said in, you know, fewer words, and then sending it to us. It makes it so much easier to get to your email and therefore 
um, move through this stuff and hopefully help more people. Yeah. So um, thanks very much for listening. Tell a friend, go to iTunes and hit five stars for us. Write us a review if you have the time. Uh, subscribe at uh, thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. And uh, you have anything else? No, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for listening.